0: Hi, I'm Ben. I'm the missions and service pastor here at SCUM. And tonight I get to, in, to introduce uh, our next sermon series, which is over the life of Samuel. And I'm really, I, I think Samuel's awesome. And I, part of the reason why we decided to do the life of Samuel is because, because we live out story. and each And his life is a story. In 1 Peter, which was what we, we preached on last, we, ran, we saw a lot of teaching and a lot of encouragement, both of which are really important. Teaching is, real, is good because it teaches us what to do it, and how to live out our story. Encouragement helps us when we encounter hard times in the midst of our stories. How, it helps us to endure during those times. Our desire within the, the life, in studying the life of Samuel is that you will be able to find people that you can identify with and that you will find people that you are inspired by. That said, I'd like to give us some historical background to both this sermon that I'll be preaching tonight, as well as the the entire series. Going back to the book of Exodus, you see Moses bringing the, the Israelites out of Egypt and wandering in the desert for 40 years. In the book of Joshua, we see... Joshua leading Israel to kick out, well, to decimate the people that are living in the promised land and to settle there in the, their various tribes. In the book of Judges, we see, the different, see that those different tribes don't always get along. And that because of that, different, different surrounding nations attack and, and raid the different tribes. And so because Israel was, was God's chosen people, he would raise up judges to mediate between the tribes during those conflicts, as well as as well as to, to raise an army and defeat their enemies,: But in the midst of all of those times, what we see is that throughout the book of Judges, we see a steady decline in their obedience to God. People are choosing to, to follow the gods of the nations that surround them, or they build their own idols. And it, it happens so much that it, the Judges ends with a verse, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So this is a little bit of historical background for, for what we're going to be preaching on over the course of the series and preaching what I'll be preaching on tonight. So let's get, go ahead and get to the passage. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zufite from the hill country of El- Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives one was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Here we're, we're introduced to three of our main characters. We're introduced to Elkanah, who is an Ephraimite, which means that he comes from the tribe of Ephraim. There was 12 tribes of Israel, and that was the name of the tribe that he was. He came comes from, so that's what an Ephraimite is. We also know that Elkanah is wealthy. He has two wives and kids, and he's able to support all of them. We're also introduced to Hannah, and she's most likely... Pen, Elkanah's first wife. Polygamy was not unheard of in Israel at that time, but it was very, very uncommon. The most usual reason why it occurred was because, because the first wife couldn't have, didn't have a son. In those days, a son is who you passed on your, your wealth, your property, and your, your possessions onto, as well as your blessing and your, and your name and honor. If you didn't have a son, then those things were, were basically dissolved into the rest of the tribe. And so Elkanah didn't want that to happen. Hannah wasn't having children, and so he, he married another woman named Peninnah, and she did have kids. Getting back to the passage, it says, Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons?" Here we have a clearer picture of these three characters. I'm going to take off my coat because I have a bad habit of pushing up my sleeves when I do this. So this is, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. <clears throat> um, so here we have a clearer picture of the three of our three main characters and what their moral character is. With Peninnah, we see that she's not a nice person. She, she's harassing this lady for something that she has no control over, and it's already shaming her. With Hannah, we see that not only does she not have kids, but she is unable to have kids. This harkens back to, to the time when, when the Israelites enter the Promised Land, when they did that, there was, God laid out a series of blessings and a series of curses before them. He said that these blessings would happen if they obeyed him, and these curses would happen if they didn't obey him. One of those curses was that there would be barrenness of the land, the livestock, and the people. If you look at the beginning of the, the book of Ruth, where, which takes place in the, at the same time as the book of Judges, you see that, that the reason that, that Naomi and her husband moved to Moab is because there's a drought in Israel. That drought is is one aspect of the, this curse from God being played out hannah 's barrenness is another aspect of this, and that ties us back into what we what we learned about in first Peter, this idea of suffering in righteousness. nothing that Hannah has done or nothing and nothing that she does gives gives her any reason to bear this curse other than the fact that, she, that all of Israel is being disobedient, and God has chosen to to chosen her to bear that, but we see how that affects her, and we see how that how she responds to that throughout the rest of this this passage during today in today 's culture there 's a number of people that choose not to have children, but at that time there was there's not that is not a choice like i 've talked about how the the importance of having a son but even if if Hannah had a daughter she would have some place to go when she was old because she doesn't have children if Elkanah dies she's literally on the street begging because she has no children and there's no one to take care of her on top of this there's such a direct correlation with with womanhood and femininity in this culture with Those things are tied to to a woman's ability to have kids. All of this stuff is going on and running through Hannah's heart, her mind, and her soul. And she's dealing with all of these things. And then on top of that, Peninnah is harassing her. This person that she sees day in and day out is constantly harassing her. Hannah is not in a good place by any stretch of the imagination. And then we come to Elkanah, the husband. He, as we look at, at the way, what he's doing, we see that he is obedient and he's faithful to God. And he's very unique in this. Like I said, talked about in the book of Judges, the way that it ends, everyone's doing as they saw fit. But Elkanah is not. He's, he realizes that God is God and that he needs to be in obedience to him. And so every year he goes up to Shiloh to worship and to sacrifice before the Lord. He is a faithful man when everyone else is not. On top of that, we see that he's compassionate. He sees Hannah's grief and he tries to engage with it. The ways in which he engages aren't necessarily the best. He compares himself to the 10 sons, which puts Hannah on the level of his mom and any comparison between your wife and your mom doesn't usually go across very well. That is, also, is compounded by the fact that the way that he is trying to, the gifts that he gives her to, to, to care for her, she's not accepting anyway. She, he gives her a double portion of food and she, to this woman who year after year does not eat because she's been taunted so much. He has compassion and he's trying to live this, this out. But the ways that he's going about it are not the, the best ways to do so. But in the midst of that, he is showing compassion, which is, he's trying to be a good man. He's trying to follow God, and he's trying to engage with his wife. And they were doing this year after year. This happened year after year. So what, what's different about this time? Let's go ahead and look back at the passage. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. How many times have I done this? How many times have we bargained with God, promised him that if he does what we want him to do, we'll do what he wants us to do, or we won't do what he he doesn't want us to do. God, if you will just get me home safe, I'll prom- I swear to you that I will never drink and drive again. God, if you make sure that my girlfriend doesn't get pregnant this time, we will never touch each other again. How many times do we make these promises to God, and yet, how many months later is it that we've had a little bit too much to drink and we get behind the wheel? These, things are, these promises that we make are selfish, selfish and they're worthless we may have an intention of doing it but when the time comes they they fly out the window sometimes they're not as as selfish as the ones that i just described sometimes it's about bargaining with god for the job that you want or like Hannah for a child or for a family member to give up an addiction What happens when, when God does answer these, questions, these prayers that we have? How often is it that, that he answers these prayers exactly like we want him to, but we forget about the bargain that we made with him? As Next week, and, uh, next week we'll get to see that Hannah does fulfill her promise to God. And through the coming weeks, through the, the rest of the series, we get to see how God is able to use that, or God uses that to affect a nation, At the very end of her, this bargain that she makes with God, she talks about how no razor will ever be used on his head. That sounds odd to us, and we, it sounds odd to us, but at that time it made sense, because what she was doing was making a Nazarite vow for her son. A Nazarite vow not only said that, that he wouldn't shave his beard or his, or his hair, but it also meant that he wouldn't eat, drink alcohol. And he wouldn't be in the presence of a dead body. What Hannah was doing was making an extreme dedication of her son to God. And she was making a dedication that would affect her and her family beyond just her son. Because he wouldn't be able to to attend her funeral or that of her husband or any of his brothers or sisters. Going back to the passage, we read that as she kept on praying, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. It's interesting to me that Eli's first thought of it is of drunkenness, but it's a sad indication of the state of things during the time of Judges when people were doing whatever they wanted, they would come, to the, come, to the, come into the temple intoxicated, disrespecting God and disrespecting the place where he was worshipped. Not only does it make me sad, it also, it also convicts me. Because how often do I make assumptions about why people are doing what they're doing or saying what they're saying, and I make judgment calls about them, or I condemn them, because of my own assumptions when i do this i'm it's detrimental to both of us to myself and to this person because because god is giving me an opportunity to be his hands and feet to be his heart on earth to these people to engage with them and to show his love and compassion and intentionality to him and when i make these judgment calls when i make these assumptions, I'm throwing all that out the window. So how does Hannah respond to Eli's accusation? She says, Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. It's funny to me that Eli assumes drunkenness when in reality Hannah is doing exactly what God is what she needs to be doing She's barren and she's in anguish and grief and she's going to God who's truly the only one that can can do anything about that We see that Elkanah with all with his words and his extra food can't help Peninnah wouldn't help even if she could Eli doesn't even know what she's grieving about because he hasn't asked. She's doing exactly what she needs to do. She's, she's taking her anguish and her grief to God, which is exactly where it needs to be. Eli realizes his, his mistake in making the assumptions that he does. And, he, and I, the words that, that follow, I think, are some of the, the most important words in this passage. Eli says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Eli speaks hope to Hannah. He speaks peace and he adds his prayer to hers. This is something that God is calling us to do. Talking about adding his prayers to hers, I think to think about my friend Dean, who's a pastor on the the northern Cheyenne Reservation. There's a tradition in the Northern Cheyenne reservation or the Northern Cheyenne and called a prayer tree where they would take a piece of fabric and tie it to the limb of a tree. That fabric represents a prayer to a spirit that is not God. When Dean first got to the to the reservation he began to pray against the pray against the prayer tree and pray against the things that that had been prayed for prayed in these pieces of fabric but then he was convicted by God that the things that were being prayed for were good things and God wanted to answer them and so be, Dean began to pray for them but pray for them that the way in which they would be answered would draw people to Jesus and that God would get the glory through them that's what God is calling us to do he's calling us to speak peace and to speak hope and to pray for people And add our prayers to theirs in such a way that that they are drawn to Jesus and that God gets the glory. One of the most important aspects of what Eli says in this sentence is that he moves the focus from humans to God. Hannah's focus is on herself and her inability to have children. Elkanah, even Elkanah, when he engages with her and tries to comfort her, he keeps it on, on the human level, comparing himself to ten sons. But Eli doesn't do that. He reminds Hannah that God is her, her ultimate provider, and he is the one that can truly answer her prayers. If you look at the, the things that, are, that Hannah is doing, she's not eating, she's weeping, she's in deep grief and anguish. These things, some of these things are similar to to people that you, I'm sure that you've seen people and engaged with people that that show these same actions and are dealing with similar things. We have the opportunity to be like Eli and to speak peace and hope to them and to add our prayers to theirs. And that's what God is calling us to do. And who knows how people will respond when we do those things. Let's see how Hannah responds in in this. She says, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their home at Ramah. Here we see the effects that Eli's words have on Hannah. She ate, her attitude changed, she worshiped God, and she went home. Hannah didn't know at this time whether or not she was going to have a son. And yet, Eli spoke to hope to her, and Hannah accepted that hope, and she chose to live it out by reengaging with life. And the, the hope that she had was that God was her provider and that he would provide and she began to understand i think at this point that god's provision could be the son that she had prayed for or it could be the endurance needed to to bear up under the taunting that she was receiving from peninnah our story ends with elkanah with the final piece of the passage which says elkanah made love to his wife hannah and the lord remembered her so in the course of time hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son she She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So who do you relate to in this passage? Is it Peninnah, the rival wife? I don't hear a whole lot of people verbally taunting each other or mocking each other at scum. But there are ways that we can be insensitive, as she was. There's ways that we can be insensitive with relationships. Talking about... About how amazing our boyfriend or girlfriend is talking about our perfect marriage or our super intelligent children in front of people that have longed for these things and still do There are ways that we can do this financially or with jobs Talking about how the, the awesome job that we have or the flashing the new iPhone Or talking about how we were able to go out every night in front of people Who have been looking for jobs for months These things are gifts that God has given us to be used for his glory and for the good of the community. This doesn't mean that we walk on eggshells, but it does mean that we pay attention to the people around us and how our words and our actions affect them. And to to think about the ways that we engage with other peoples and the things that we say and the things that we do. And to be sensitive to each other. There are a lot of times where I feel like Elkanah. I'm trying to faithfully follow God. And I'm so burdened by the people that I love who are in anguish and grief and pain. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know what to do. And when I try to engage the things that I say and the things that I do come come out all wrong and don't really help. Maybe you feel like me in this. Or maybe it's like Eli that you feel, you make poor assumptions and judgments about people and act towards them based on those things. Are you willing to accept your mistake and to speak hope with and pray for them? I think that at some point or another, we all feel like Hannah. We all feel, feel barren and empty and misunderstood, but even by those who love us the most. We feel lonely and we feel abandoned. How long have you been praying for a friend to come to Jesus, or a spouse, or healing? What do you do when day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. This does not happen. Do you give up, throw up your hands and walk away? Or do you allow these longings and this unanswered prayer to drive you to pray more fervently and to drive you into God's arms even more? God wants us to be like Eli. He wants us to speak hope and to pray for people. He wants them, us to remind them that, that God is there. We live in a broken world. One of Les Avery's favorite benedictions starts out, everyone you meet carries a heavy load, and if you, you scratch just below the surface, you will encounter tremendous pain. There is so much truth in this. Everyone that you encounter carries a tremendous amount of pain. My challenge to you tonight is to look around you look for these people that are in pain that are grieving that are in anguish and take the opportunity to pray for them these people could be your roommates they could be your family they could be the people that you work with or the people that you go to school with or the people that you run into at the the supermarket or walking down the street, or the guy behind the counter at McDonald's. If you see them, someone in, in pain, someone that's grieving, pray for them. And as you're praying, pray that, that God would reveal if he has words for you, words of peace and hope for you to speak to them, and then go and do that. God wants us to be like Elkanah. He wants us to be obedient and faithful in following him. As I was studying this, one thing that I realized was that it's only in Elkanah's faithfulness in going to Shiloh every year that Hannah was able to, to worship God in the way that God had ordained. As a lone woman, it would have been culturally unacceptable and physically unsafe for her to go to go to the temple by herself. And so, in Elkanah's faithfulness in going every year, she was able to engage with God. She was, he gave her space to engage with God in the ways that God had laid out by the law. God wants us to be obedient and faithful because in doing so, we, are, we give people the, the space that, that they need to be able to engage with God and to find God in our obedience, finally, God calls us to be like Hannah. He calls us to continue to pray, even in the midst of our barrenness, in the midst of our loneliness, in the midst of feeling abandoned and empty. as I was studying for this this sermon. I ran across this story that I'd like to share with you. Ignatius Jan Paderewski, the famous Polish composer-pianist, was once scheduled to perform at a great American concert hall for a high society extravaganza. In the audience was a mother with her fidgety nine-year-old son. Weary of waiting, the boy slipped away from her side, strangely drawn to the Steinway on the stage. Without much notice from the audience, he sat down at the stool and began to play chopsticks the roar of the crowd turned to shouts as hundreds yelled, "Get that boy away from there!" When Paderewski heard the uproar backstage, he grabbed his coat and rushed over behind the boy. Reaching around him, he the two, reaching around him from behind, the master began to improvise a counter melody to Chopsticks. As the two of them played, Paderewski kept whispering in the boy's ear, "Keep going! Don't quit! Don't stop, son! Don't stop!" God is like Paderewski as he stands behind us whispering, don't stop being obedient like Elkanah. He's like like Paderewski as he stands behind us telling us to never quit praying like Hannah. And as we are faithful to him in doing these things, he composes amazing and beautiful counter-melodies with our faithfulness. This literally begins the life of Samuel. He is an answer to prayer. He is dedicated by his mother to God. And in the the coming weeks, we get to see how he lives out his parents' obedience. Because he does these things, God uses him to usher in kings. First King Saul and then King David. God uses him to foster the transition between Israel being ruled by judges to Israel being a monarchy and and Samuel affects an entire nation because of his faithfulness to God as we go through, as we continue this study our desire is that that you will be inspired by people like Hannah people like Samuel people like Elkanah and Eli and that you will that we will contrast them with people like Peninnah, who we should not be inspired by and who we should learn how not to live. I really like Samuel. I think he's awesome. One of the the major reasons why is because time after time, he faithfully and he boldly acts and speaks with humility and wisdom as God calls him to. And as he does this, he stays mainly in the spot, in the, he doesn't, he stays mainly in the background. He allows others to take the spotlight. All of these things, I think, are qualities that we can all take into ourselves and live out as we follow Jesus. My ultimate desire is that we will all be inspired to be more like Samuel as we faithfully follow God with the decisions that we make and the choices that we're given because in doing so, we are being, being obedient to God as we live out the individual stories that he is writing with our lives. Thanks.